0: Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. The children of Israel are brought out of that wicked place called Egypt. They are brought out into the desert by the great hand of God moving on their behalf. And now as they have crossed through that Red Sea, as they have seen the wall of water tumble down on the Egyptian army that is pursuing them, slaying that great army. They make their way now into the desert, and the question is, how can they survive? There are over a million people, and there is no food in the desert to feed this crowd of hungry people, and they can't consume all of their livestock because it'll be gone, and they will have lost their livestock. They are in a desperate situation. It looks like certain death for them. They don't figure that out yet as they go toward Elam. God has provided sweet water for them and they rest in the desert and they're eating the food they carried with them out of Egypt. But now, a month and a half into this journey, the whole community begins to grumble. They complain. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Oh, they are groaning and moaning because they're hungry. They're hungry. And the Lord makes this incredible promise. It's found in Exodus 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Now God is promising that he is going to feed them. He is going to feed them from heaven every day. Now, please understand, the symbolism is very plain. The manna represents Jesus Christ. Jesus said, My body is real food and my blood is real drink. Many disciples stopped following him in the book of John when he made that statement. It was too raw for them. And frankly, they did not believe that Jesus Christ was the bread of heaven. They did not trust the word of God. So many stopped following him. He could produce bread with his hands by dividing those little fishes and loaves, and they could sit down and eat that bread but they did not believe that Jesus himself was the bread of heaven. The Lord said, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. That bread came into a little town called Bethlehem in a manger as a baby this bread man, this God man, this Savior. This Savior was to come now among the people and feed them, and yet today He is also feeding us. Look with me. Chapter 16, the book of Exodus. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. In other words, the sign that God himself brought you out of Egypt is that he will feed you. Now, the painful reality is that many of you, as you listen to this broadcast, will identify quickly with the fact that you feed on many things other than Jesus Christ. And the Lord has become very clear with me, telling me that I am not to feed on anything other than Jesus Christ, that he is to be my sustenance, he is to be my source. I'm not to feed on another person. I'm not to feed on the movies or the television or the sports activities of the world. I'm not to feed on the History Channel. I'm to feed on Jesus Christ. I'm to bury myself in the Scriptures. He said to me, if you want my power, read my word. He said that to me many years ago, and because of that, I have consistently read the word of God, reading it now far more than 50 times from Genesis to Revelation. Because when I read the Word, I'm feeding on Jesus. And Jesus has kindly arranged circumstances. He has kindly arranged to have certain people in my life. I know it was not my doing. I know it was the Holy Spirit moving in power to establish what He desired for me. And I praise His name. I come and speak on this radio broadcast, and I come as a no one, a nobody, a, the least of all of God's children. The cry of my heart is that the Holy Spirit will bring the bread of heaven to you as I speak these words, that the bread of heaven will be presented to you and that you will eat that Precious bread of heaven, that you will be filled with Jesus. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he heard your grumbling against him. Do you understand? God hears our grumbling. He hears our complaints. He hears everything we say. He's not a God who is far off. He's a a God who is close by. He loves us with an everlasting love. I've used this illustration before. When my youngest daughter, Heidi, was just a little girl, she was learning how to play hide-and-go-seek with her daddy. And she would run and hide while I counted to ten. And then I would go looking for where Heidi was hidden. And I'd go, Heidi, Heidi, where are you? And then I would finally see her. She had her head under the bed or under a table. But the rest of her body was all in plain sight. But because her head was covered, she thought she was hidden. But she was not hidden. Her daddy found her quickly and easily. And we'd laugh and talk. And then she'd go hide again. And then she'd say, Daddy, hide. And so I would go and hide in an easy to find place, and she would come searching and find me. Well, you can't hide from Jesus, He sees you. You can turn to all manner of foolishness. You can turn to all manner of escape, but Jesus both hears and sees you, and he is paying very close attention to what you say. That's part of why I am so clear with you day by day as we we share that Jesus knows your heart. Jesus knows what you say. Jesus knows, and he follows you. So Moses and Aaron said to all of the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he's heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? See, they also said, We're the least of all of God's people. Who are we? We're nobody. Don't grumble against us. We simply are telling you what the Word of God says. You will know that it was the Lord when He gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. We have certain expectations. We want our life to go in a certain way. We want certain successes, and we want to be able to establish ourselves. May I say to you, please, if the Lord does not build the house, the workers work in vain, you cannot establish yourself. Oh, you can create a temporary appearance of being settled. But if God does not establish you in his kingdom, you will be left out of his kingdom you cannot establish yourself. Now, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community and looked toward the desert, there was the glory of the Lord. It appeared in a cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. I once did the calculation to figure out how much bread would be necessary to feed that kind of crowd. Literally, if you do the math, you'll discover that it would take trains of boxcars, it would take an amazing amount of food. It would take a line of semi-trucks many miles long to carry that much food. And the Lord God of heaven is saying, I'm going to show this up for you in the morning. They don't hear any carts coming their way. They don't hear mule trains stretching for miles coming their way. How are they to believe? And so God gives them a sign that they will know that it is God who has done this. And that evening, quail came, and he covered. they covered the camp. So they had a chicken feast that night. Now, something I want to say to you about how God operates for the immature who have not had adequate evidence of the reality of God. For those who are just beginning to come out of the darkness, God will do things that are magnificent that he will not do for a mature man or woman of God. He will demonstrate incredible power. He will demonstrate his awesomeness. He did that this night, a month and a half into the journey, by giving them a feast of quail or chicken. They went to bed with their bellies full, and the Lord has promised that the next morning when they get up, there will be bread for them. They get up the next morning, and they go out, and I wonder if they were looking for the carts because they had heard none through the night. I wonder if they were puzzled by what they saw. There was an extremely heavy dew that fell that morning, and when the dew dried as the sun was coming up, they saw what appeared to be thin flakes like frost on the ground on the desert floor. And the Israelites, they looked at it and they said, What is it? They didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given to you in order that you may be able to eat. This is what the Lord had commanded. Each of you is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer. Now an omer is probably about two quarts gather as much as you need. The Israelites did as they were told, and some gathered much and some little. And then they measured it by the omer. He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. And then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. In other words, God is going to give them day by day exactly what they need. Now, I'm not real fond of this way of God. I would rather have what I need stashed in the bank. And then when a crisis comes, I can say, Not to worry. I have it covered. The Lord usually doesn't like to work that way. The Lord usually would much prefer and the way he's worked with me for many years. He gives me enough for the day. And then when I need more, he gives me more the next day. But I want you to see a very important insight today that you will not be pleased by, but you need to see. It's found in Deuteronomy. It's found in Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. I'm going to read it for you. I'll begin with verse 2. Remember, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your hearts, whether or not, you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that a man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You recognize immediately that last portion of the verse. It is what Jesus said to the devil when he said, Use your power and create these rocks into, into bread. You're hungry, so feed yourself. And Jesus answered him, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, I am not going to step out ahead of God. I am going to wait upon him, and he will supply my need. Well, did he supply the need of Jesus in that wilderness? And the answer is given in the Scriptures. Yes. He sent his angels to personally minister to Jesus and strengthen him, else he would have died in that wilderness. Some of you today are in a wilderness. You have no answers. If I were very frank with you, and I will be, I am also in a wilderness. I have no answers except the Holy Spirit. The wilderness that I am in is a desert wilderness. It is dry. It is dangerous. It is called the world. And I see the desperate sickness of the church in our culture. I see how men and women have become business people running the church. How pastors have become CEOs. How desperately wicked the culture has become. And how the church has brought that wicked culture directly into the house of God. There is an attempt to make the gospel relevant to today's wickedness. And so many pastors think that they have to bring in certain kinds of music, certain kinds of multimedia. I mean, pastors showing sermons on screens by showing a a current movie, and clips of that movie, and then talking about that movie, trying to make their sermon relevant to the day of, of our culture. And the wickedness of this culture giving itself over to every kind of deviate, deviation from the law of Christ, every deviant behavior. breaks my heart. I'm in this desert. Now, I know that the only place where I can get my manna or get my Jesus is on my knees. The only place the children of Israel could gather this manna was on their knees. Now, Jesus could have just as easily set up tables in the desert and laid the manna in beautiful dishes on those tables. And they could have gone out every morning, gone to God's cafeteria, and selected the items that they most desired. There was no shortage of God's ability to prepare a feast in the desert. But he did not do that. Instead, he chose to humble the people by causing them to be so hungry that they would finally get down on their knees and begin to pick up the pieces, the small pieces, and put it in their container until finally they had the amount they needed for that day's supply of manna. If they did not go out, if they slept in one morning, And they went out after the sun had burned bright, the manna would have all melted away. It was gone for the day, and they went hungry. It is the same now. We must go out when the manna is on the ground, and we must kneel down to pick it up. Else we will go hungry, and many of you listening to this broadcast are frankly starving to death, you are hungry, but you have filled your belly with the apples of Sodom and the straw of Gomorrah. You have filled your belly with every kind of wickedness, and it is a poison in your soul. And so you weep over your sin, perhaps, but you have no power to leave your sin because you've not been going out and picking up the manna. You've not been picking up the treasure that Jesus Christ would give to you to feed your soul. You're going to have to change that behavior. If you want Jesus, you're going to have to get down on your knees and you're going to have to take those small portions and all together they will add up to enough to completely fill your soul. It says very clearly that God led them, He caused them to grow hungry, and then he humbled them. You cannot find Jesus when you have a proud heart. Your heart has to be laid down. The grumbling and the complaining has to be laid down the grumbling to your wife or your husband, the grumbling at work, the grumbling about your job. All grumbling has to be laid down. You have to humble yourself. Only an arrogant person will grumble. A humble person will be grateful for what they have. It's necessary that we be humbled before God. Humbled and, and taught. That man does not live on what he sees, that that alone is not enough. Now I will grant to all of you that we all need to have food to eat. There is no possibility of survival without actually feeding the physical body. We must feed our physical body and we must care for it, for it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But we also need to be absolutely clear that that is not enough. And we must also recognize that the physical food that we put in our bodies has come from the hand of Jesus. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these other things will be granted unto you, will be given to you. And so here these children of Israel are, out in the desert. The manna is laid down on the ground. They have to bend over. They have to get on their knees to pick it up. And then he tells them, don't save any until tomorrow. Well, they didn't obey. And the next morning when everyone got up, there was a smell of a garbage dump wafting over the camp of the children of Israel. And immediately Moses knew what it was. Many had tried to save the manna, fearing that there would be no manna the next day. Jesus wants us to know that he is not a flake God. He will not do something for us today and then disappear tomorrow. It's his intention to carry us all the way through to total victory in Jesus Christ. He has not called you to be saved and then left you in your sin. It is His intention and it is His power that breaks all the power of sin over our hearts. He does not save us and let the devil continue to ravage us with the bondages of sin and darkness. Darkness cannot exist in the light of Jesus Christ. You're either in the dark or you're in the light. The darkness does not overcome the light. The light overcomes the darkness. So let's be very clear. The Lord expects us to obey his commands and to do what he tells us to do. And he told the children of Israel, Don't save any of it for tomorrow. Now was an exception. Verse 21, this is Exodus 16, 21. Each morning everyone gathered as much as he needed. You know, I have to stop and just look at the actual logistics. There are over a million people here. It would be easy to just trample the manna so that no one else would have any. Going out to pick up this manna required humility of heart and concern for others. And I imagine they had to travel some distance to pick up sufficient amount for everyone. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders came and reported this to Moses. And he said, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses had commanded. And it did not stink and it did not get maggots in it. And Moses said, eat it today, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are together, but on the seventh day the Sabbath, there will not be any manna. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath, that is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, later I'll do a study on the meaning of the seventh day. But today, let me just say, after the creation was finished, God came not just in the cool of the day, but on the Sabbath day he came and spent the day with them. This was the day for fellowship with the Almighty God. It's as though on that day the husband was off work, and so he stayed home all day. Isn't that an awesome concept that God is giving us? He wanted to come and spend this day, this Sabbath day, with the children of Israel. He loved them. But there's no indication that they caught on, that he wanted to spend that time. So finally he just said, well, just stay in your tents. It's almost as though he's saying, time out. I want you to be very aware that God wants you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants that Sabbath rest with you. Do you want that time with Jesus? Do you want that place of rest in Jesus? Hebrews 3 and 4 tells us that salvation in Jesus is symbolized by the Sabbath rest. Some people have said to me, Pastor Ray, do you keep the seventh day holy? And I quickly answer, absolutely I do. I keep the first day and the second day and the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day and the sixth day. I keep all of the days of the week holy before God because when I entered into salvation, I entered into my rest from my own works. Can you get that? There is a place of rest and security for you a place that you never need to leave. There is a place where you are under the authority of the kingdom of God. When that passage is used in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first the kingdom of God, that kingdom in the, in the Greek does not mean a geographic location. Seek ye first the kingdom of God means seek ye first the full authority of God to be exercised over your life. And as the exercising of that authority is done over your life, you will enter into His rest. And then our goal is to seek after His innocence. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in that place we have perpetual rest. Everything we do is to be guided by the Holy Spirit and directed by the Holy Spirit. A Christian does not go to work in order to make money, in order to survive. A Christian goes to the place assigned to him by God to perform deeds of service. It's a place of ministry. It's a place of redemption. You may work in the Pentagon. You may work in the Navy Yard. You may work Costco. Wherever you work, whether it's an office, a contracting office, a radio station, wherever you work, you are there as a part of the kingdom of the priesthood of God. To function in that place in a redemptive manner to draw people to Jesus Christ. You enter into the fullness of the rest of Jesus, and your manna is supplied, your manna is given. Well, the quail came, the manna came, and then the Sabbath came. It's interesting to me that the Lord brought the chicken or the quail so that they had full bellies, and then He brought the bread of heaven. And then He said, Okay, now would you just rest with me? Would you? Would you just come into my tent and would you rest with me? I love that powerful illustration of our relationship to Jesus. He gives us what we need. He cares for us. He's merciful to us. And then miraculously, he provides for us. And then finally he says, okay, now come and just sit with me. I want to teach you about the ways of God. But some people were not satisfied and they went out on their own and tried to find food for themselves. And the desert was bare. There was no bread. There was no food. Today, if your world is bare, one of the questions I must ask of you is, Have you gone where Jesus sent you? The desert is bare on the seventh day. On the seventh day, he wants you to come and fully enter into his presence. Have you entered fully into the presence of Jesus? Is he your bread? Is he your drink? Now, I know it's hard to even begin to get a handle on what I'm trying to talk about with you today because so many of you are feasting on the video games. You're feasting on your alcohol. You're feasting on your drugs. You're feasting on your lust. You're feasting on the television. You're feasting on everything in the culture. So if Jesus never comes... You can at least go to church once in a while and get a little inspiration and say, oh, I'm okay. This is what I've done. But no, that's not how it's going to work. That's not what Jesus wants for you. Jesus wants for you to be able to come in and sit with him and be filled with his presence. The heart of God is that you would Be filled with him. Not that you would fill yourself with the darkness of this world. Well, the people of Israel, they called this bread manna. The word manna in the Hebrew means, what is it? It was a a white, uh, it was like a coriander seed. It tasted like wafers made with honey. They ate this manna until until they literally reached Cana land. This provision for them was made for 40 years. Every day except the seventh day, the manna fell. And then when they reached Cana land, and they began to eat the produce of this promised land, they no longer needed the manna, and it stopped falling from the sky. Jesus wanted to test the children of Israel. He wanted to know if he could trust them. He wanted to know if they could finally say, We know Jesus is here for us. And we know beyond question that we can trust him. It's almost as though. Some of you say, Yes, Jesus has met me in the past, but what's he going to do for me today? The Jesus who took care of you in the past will take care of you in the present, and he'll take care of you in the future. You can trust him. But now, let me say something that may be hard for some of you to hear. You put your trust in Jesus and then you don't have what you need. You may today not have a job. You've prayed and you've asked Jesus for the job and he has protected you in the past, but this time the money's running out. You don't know where to turn. You don't know where to apply. You've done everything you can do, and still there's no job. Well, one of two things is going on. The first, you may be very hard-edged. You may have bitter unforgiveness in your heart. You may be angry in your spirit. You may be judgmental in your mind. You may be critical. You may be hostile. And the Lord will not answer until that problem is taken care of. In other words, if the provision is not coming, it is because something is going on in your heart that God is trying to get at. Now, there is a second possibility. And that is that you have been victorious and you are walking clean and there is no answer from heaven. And that is in itself an answer. And it means no matter what I face, no matter what hardship presents itself, I will allow God to test me and try me and sift me. And I will not turn aside from my faithfulness to Jesus. I will trust what he is doing even though I die. The Lord giveth. The Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what Job said. So how do you know which position you're in? Well, the default position is that there is some issue going on in my heart that is blocking the power of God from moving to deliver me. Self-centered, self-consumed, not giving to others, angry, hostile, bitter, wanting to fulfill with my own lust. And God wants to deal with your heart. Now, a very few of you may be in the second position, but most of you who are in trouble today are in the first position. And God wants to deal with your heart, with your judgmental attitude, with your hard-edged attitude the declaration of self-righteousness? As one person said to me, I've done everything I was supposed to do. Have you really? The very fact that you would say that with such an attitude says you have not done the most essential part, and that is to get down on your knees and humble your heart before Jesus and give up your anger and let the Holy Spirit heal your heart. I see some people bounce from one church to another, from one place to another. They can never find a place of rest or ease because they are so full of themselves that they can't even stand their own presence. They want to be somebody. They want to be recognized. It doesn't work. There comes a time when we must humble our hearts and get on our knees so that Jesus can feed us on the wafers made with honey, symbolizing His broken body. So how are you today with Jesus? Have you humbled your heart before Him? Are you on your knees picking up the manna in the morning before the hot sun of the day burns it off? Are you walking by faith? I spoke early in the broadcast about my being in the wilderness. In the wilderness I'm in and the the bread that I'm asking, I'm asking the Holy Spirit for the bread of Jesus Christ for revival in America. I know the answers are not political. I know the answers are moral. Repentance, confession of sin, turning to the Lord God once more. And that's going to have to happen one person at a time. It can't happen with everybody by making a law. We must have the awesome, living presence of the Holy Spirit to come with healing in His wings to minister to us the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Without that, we will die in the wilderness and America will be judged and will be no more. And so day after day, I cry out to the Lord and I ask him, please do whatever you must do in my life to prepare me that I could walk in revival power with your people. I know I'm the problem. I know you're the problem. I know we must see Jesus. I will not protest saying, Oh, I've done everything I can do and, and other great men of God have prayed for revival like Leonard Ravenhill and, and it never came or David Wilkerson and it never came. or. No, I can't go there. I have to stand by faith before my Lord Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, save your people. Save your people. Send your power. Cause us to be so hungry, Jesus, that we'll cry out to you. Jesus, come and feed your people today. Lord Jesus, come. Feed your people today. Let us, O Lord, be on our knees, picking up the small pieces that you've given to us that we understand and, and letting your Holy Spirit assemble them in such a manner that they will feed us. Lord, there must be a revival. Your people are dying in Saudi Arabia, in Nigeria, under the murderous hand of ISIS, such a wicked, wicked people. Lord, save your people. I cry in your name and by your blood, Jesus. Amen. I welcome you to come and worship with the National Prayer Chapel. Uh, Go to our webpage. We've made quite a few changes in it go to our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com there you'll find each day the webcast the podcast directions to our service it's nationalprayerchapel.com you're also welcome to come and worship with us we meet at the national at the, the prayer chapel the national prayer chapel meets at the All Saints Anglican Church. It's located at 14851 Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia. It's right next to the Hilton Memorial Event Center. I also welcome you to give tithes and offerings for the support of this radio broadcast. We're well along in the month, and we're a long way from being covered. Right to the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 Again that mailing address The National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 Lord, I just Come again before your throne and say, O oh Lord, I lift up these precious people who've been listening to this broadcast. Lord, would you remove all cynicism from our hearts, all discouragement, despair, hopelessness. Lord, would you just remove it from our hearts and would you feed us on the manna? Would you feed us with your precious body? Would you strengthen us for the journey and cause us to resolve to not feast on anything save you alone, Jesus, because you are our Lord and our Savior. Turn our hearts away from all darkness, all foolishness. Cause us to search after you with all of our hearts, Jesus. Lord, we've come to worship you. Thank you, mighty God. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. I'll talk to you again soon.